There's no business like show business, like no business I know. From the beautifully restored Brownwood Lyric Theater in revitalized downtown Brownwood, it's waxing lyrically. She's got it! By George, she's got it! The podcast devoted to and hosted by our own Lyric Theater players. Go ahead, Malin! Slop her! Are you crazy? Hit her! Are you high, Clary? Now here's your host for tonight's show, Paul Underwood. Good day and welcome to another episode of Waxing Lyrically. This is your host, Paul Underwood, and I am joined with a very special guest, a relatively new friend of the lyric. I never called myself new anything. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly. Johnette Darlene. Oh, Irvin. You had and to you use are, that first name. You winced already, and that was going to be the oh. first thing I was going to... Can I get through your bio, and then we'll go back to sure. that, okay? Sure, I'm wincing as you speak. Okay. Darlene Irvin, is that better? Yes. Okay. She is an experienced English theater speech instructor who has taught at both the high school and the college level such things as theater arts, public speaking, interpersonal communication, one-act play, director a certified one-act play contest adjudicator, and we're going to get to all that later. Going through the bio here. um, (laughs) It's a long bio because I'm old. (laughs) I mean, that's what happens. When you live a long time, you do a lot of stuff. That's right. right. Co-owner of Grace Squared Inc. Investment and Consulting Firm, and we'll touch on that a little bit. But, you know, this is not a business podcast. This is Well, I'm not a business person much, (laughs) so we ought to do well here. All right, and she's just had stops at Odessa College, San Saba, and Coleman, Andrews. I think that's where you raised your kiddos, right? And mm-hmm. Andrews. That's where they went to school and graduated. Mm-hmm. A speech teacher, journalism, radio, TV, did some work at the public broadcasting station, and it goes on and on. She uh, had a, a, a teaching stint at Texas Tech University, did graduate work at the University of Texas, Permian Basin, an outstanding young woman of America. She is married 42 years. And a half. Yes. To, uh, ladies and gentlemen, she married one of her students. Ooh, scandalous. Oh, no. Scandalous. I would be in jail now, probably. I didn't want you to bring that up. Where did you hear that? Oh, no. You know, I did my research you on did. this. You yeah. did. I, you've been talking to my kids. I know what this yeah, is. I know. Yeah, yeah. And some other people, too. Yeah. Uh, 42 years to Andy Irvin. And we might mention that this student that you married was a non-traditional oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the older guys in my class. Oh, I yeah. mean, yeah. we're not talking like a Mrs. Robinson no, kind of thing. No, no, <laughs> no, no. And uh, there's an interesting story there, but I won't go there. Anyway. And they had, uh, they have two wonderful kiddos, and now I've got to know them both. Son Drew, mm-hmm. who stepped in at the last minute and knocked it out of the park I in Mamma so. Mia, I was uh, playing the him. part of Sky, and Caitlin. Yes. And uh, if you look at her Facebook page, you'll notice that these two 
precious grandkids are mm-hmm. the apple of her eye. She's the grandmother to Andy and AJ. That's right. And of course, I just know all these yeah, people. They're I, all lyric folks. I've got a chance to Even be. Even my son in law, Shade, was a lyric person. Yeah, too. and I've I got mean, a chance to be in four of the five. Four really? of the five I've been in shows with. Oh my gosh. With Shade, who is Caitlin's husband. I was in A Few Good Men mm-hmm. on that. And of course, Shade just, he played his part so perfectly oh, yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I had so much fun with Shade in that. I was with Jan, or I was with Andy as Jan right. in Greece, Greece, and she was really one of the kind young people. Thank you. And she then, has a sweet spirit and a sweetheart. Yes, yes, she does. And, of course, A.J., I just laugh every time I see A.J. He cracked me up. He was in A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. He played the younger brother, Randy. Right. And uh, he was fantastic in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud grandma. Well, I could just talk all the podcast about my grandkids, <laughs> but I don't think that's why I'm here. So. All right, and now we're going to circle back. Johnette Darlene yes. Irvin. Yes, that's because uh, when I was born, my mother gave me that name. But from the moment I was born, I was called Darlene. Yeah. Um, but you, as you grow older, you understand that everything official is in your first name. Right. And yeah. so it's there, much to my chagrin. Why don't you like Johnette? It, it sounds like a Mouseketeer or something. Well, but. that's probably why. I was not much a fan of the Mouseketeers. I'm, uh, I was just never comfortable with it. And it's funny because I only had, you know how the first day of school, the teacher calls out the roll. Yes. And they start going down the ladder. And they go by your official name on the roll. And so every day, every class, I would say, no, my, I go by Darlene. I go by Darlene. Yeah. So my junior high uh, speech teacher who really uh, got me where I to decide to be a speech teacher and okay. a theater person yeah. um, in the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, Johnette, Darlene Irvin. I said, I go by Darlene. She said, I think Johnette's prettier. And I said, well, okay, because I'm in the seventh grade and you don't cross your teacher. And so the entire year with all these kids that I had grown up with in Odessa, Texas, who knew me by Darlene, mm-hmm. that one teacher called me Johnette. So later, if I ever ran into somebody who called me Johnette, I knew that they were in my seventh grade speech class <laughs> because nobody calls me Johnette ever uh, except people that don't know me. I see. That's it. It's my legal thing. Yeah. But I don't use it. Okay. And I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea. My, my grandfather had lots of grandkids. He thought because his name was John yes. that it, it was after him, but I, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Uh, so it's a mystery. Okay. There you go. Well, do you ever get tired of having to spell your first and last yes. name that you use now? Because yes. that's kind of non-traditional, it both is. of them. It is. And when I, I was named Darlene with a Y, and I swore I would never have a child that I would curse with a hard-to-spell name. Right. So Caitlin's born, and mm-hmm. what do I do? But I put C-A-I-T-L-Y-N. <laughs> Because I was under influence of drugs, I guess. I don't know. And and bless her heart, she's had to spell her name her entire life yeah. the same way. But right. anyway, it was different. But when she was named Caitlin, uh, there weren't as many Caitlins then. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, names go through cycles according to the, the culture. Is she fine with Caitlin or Katie, either one? I think so. Yeah. I, saw, I guess. Do you still call her Caitlin? Do you ever call her Katie? I call her Katie all the time. The first show I was in with Caitlin was MASH. Mm-hmm. You have experience with that show, too, I think. But uh, I gave Larry the suggestion to do MASH. Oh, wow. Because I had done MASH yeah. years before. Maybe it wasn't my suggestion, but I remember mentioning it. And the next thing I heard, he was doing that. Yeah. And so when we were talking, and I said, and I told him, I said, when I did MASH, 
I borrowed from the Confederate Air Force in Midland. I borrowed a MASH ambulance unit and parked it out in front of the theater. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. And the next time I come to town, there's a Jeep parked out here in the in front of the theater. Here we thought Larry Mathis was just so brilliant well, with all these you know, great Maybe ideas. that was his idea, but, you know, I, Larry's not here, so I'm going to claim a little bit of credit for that. But uh, I remember saying, you know, that that's how we publicize that. You might want to think about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But then Larry and I are old friends, and that's a different story. So it was, it was my second lyric show. I was in Fiddler on the Roof, but that was back in 07, I right. think. Um, and the only reason why I got involved in that one is that's one I did in high school, and I just loved the story. Oh, yeah. So I get cast in mm-hmm. MASH mm-hmm. as Sergeant Divine Mess mm-hmm. Hall Cook mm-hmm. and realize pretty quickly that I was really in over my head because thumbing through the, the script, I noticed I had dialogue back and forth with the great Caitlin Tidwell. Oh, <laughs> And I, I tell you, I was that was so intimidating for me because I'd just seen her as Shelby oh, yeah. on Steel Magnolias yeah. make me cry on stage and she, just so fantastic. That was a great part. And I saw her in Annie, and I, and I went home and told my wife, Jill, I, 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 I don't know <laughs> if I can do this, you know. And, of course, Aww. she was fantastic through the whole thing. But that was, and I even, I've even told her that story, that was so intimidating for me to see yeah. somebody – so accomplished like that, and then just to see, you know, me that's still trying to find his legs in, well, in theater. She would not even think of that. Oh, I know, she and I consider her a great me. friend now. But at the time, oh yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I know how that works. I talked to you, Darlene. Mm-hmm. We, we've had some discussions leading up to the podcast. And I kind of shared my new podcast obsession, and it's this mm-hmm. podcast called Desert Island Discs. Oh, yeah. And I found out it's been around for like 75 years, uh-huh. and it's, it's, it's on the BBC. It's a British deal, and uh, they've had—it's not always a name guest, but they've had people like Dame Judi Dench on oh, there. Daniel, my heroes. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, yeah. uh, Tom Hanks, Keith oh, Richards, yeah. guitar player for the Rolling Stone. Just, and that's her interview style is she kind of gets them talking about what eight, I think it's, uh, what is it? It's eight songs, a book, and one luxury item that mm-hmm. they would bring to a desert island. Mm-hmm. And I found out that they've been doing this show wow. for 75 years, and I don't oh know how gosh. long it's been a podcast. So anyways, I thought that I would kind of start off and mm-hmm. kind of do a little different version of okay. that with you. All right. And we'll do this in two parts. I'm going to start, and then we're going to come back to it. First off, okay, you are stranded on a desert island, Mm -hmm. Darlene. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another, one actor or actress comes up in a rowboat, (laughs) and he gets to perform one monologue from a play. What do you want to hear? I want to hear James Earl Jones do Grandpa from You Can't Take It With You. Oh, Okay. They reprised it in New York in, I think it was 2014. Yeah. I didn't get to go. Loss of my life. Yes. Uh, but he's kind of my hero. Okay. And I'd love that. Well, sir, here we are again. We'd like to say thanks once more for everything you've done for us. Things seem to be going along fine. 
Alice is going to marry Tony. And it looks as if they're going to be very happy. Of course, the fireworks blew up, but that was Mr. DePena's fault, not yours. We've all got our health. And as far as anything else is concerned, we'll leave it to you. Thank you. Now help me out here because I'm not sure. James Earl Jones still alive or dead? As far as I know, he's still alive. Okay, but still he's kicking. very aged. He's yeah. probably near 90, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think he's wonderful. You know, he was wonderful in Field of Dreams like oh, 25, yeah. 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. That uh, was a great monologue, too. He's just in the great voice. Oh, mm. my Lord, that voice. Yeah. And I just think, but he, I would have loved to have seen him play Grandpa in this show. Okay. So he's on that <laughs> island with you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but for a brief time, and yeah. we'll get to yeah. that later. Okay. okay. And then, lo and behold, there's this yacht, and it and they're out there, and it's a whole musical troupe from a musical. Mm-hmm. And they get stranded on that island, too. Mm-hmm. And they can perform one musical number for your entertainment while you're on that island all oh, by yourself. I forgot. I forgot to look up the name of the number. I was thinking the entire musical. Okay. And well, that that, would, that'll work. And, and that would be Newsies. Okay. My kids were watching the movie Newsies when they were 10 and 8 years old. So that was a real touchstone. Yeah. Yeah. Deal for your, yeah. you and your family. Yeah. So Newsies. Newsies. Of all the musicals, yeah, I'm a musical kind of guy. But could, could you see yourself directing Newsies on the? Not lyrics? after Shannon did it. No, <laughs> nobody can ever do it after Shannon did it because Shannon did such a wonderful job. But I love, I love that show. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I like old classics like South Pacific too. Right, those are some of my favorites too. So. Yeah, wash that man right yeah. out of my hair. Yeah, I was in chorus in that show at Permian Playhouse in Odessa, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> but that was fun. I talked to four people in mm-hmm. preparation for this. I talked oh to I talked to Katie. I talked to Drew. Mm-hmm. I talked to called Larry today, and oh, I talked to Larry, and I talked to Nancy Joe also. Oh, okay. So tried That's to get some information, and they were pretty. You know, I was trying to get some dirt. You know, some real. Oh. You know, the only thing I could really come up with, you know, is somebody said, "Well, you know, she married her student." So I, oh you know, but I and I've already used happened. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, I, you know, I got a little but bit... But I need to explain that, okay? Uh-huh. Because there's a... I mean, this... I was teaching at Odessa College, and I was teaching a night class yeah. for management majors. Okay. And um, those classes are usually all full of men, 25 to 35, mm-hmm. who are working on finishing their degree. They all have families and children, and they come to night class twice a week. And my husband, who was not married with children, had moved back to West Texas and was working full time and uh, had uh, signed up for that class because he needed it for a business degree. Yeah. And out of the entire class, there were uh, 
18 men, 16 were married. There were two single men. There was one 18-year-old fresh out of high school, and there was my husband, who I guess was 23. You're, soon, you're, you're not husband my soon then. To be husband. Soon to be yeah. husband, yes. Yeah, and then uh, the only other lady in the class was the lady I was sharing a house with. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really interesting thing, but I, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with community college, but community college, your median age student is 26 to 28. Okay. So, or it was back then. Yeah. So you're used to, you're used to dealing with adults. So, okay. but the next semester, uh, people were shocked to see us together mm-hmm. because nobody ever knew yeah. that, that we had even had. Well, you kept it professional at the time. Of course we did. Absolutely. Of course we did. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, both your kiddos were in plays or musicals in, in high school with you and Andrews. Yeah, I had Katie for one year. Yeah. And then she graduated. Mm-hmm. And then I had a year without either one of them. And then Drew was there for four. Katie said that you took her to see Hello, Dolly. Yes. When she was four years old yep. at the Globe Theater in Odessa. Yeah. And it changed her life. Well, I guess so. I guess yeah. so. that's how we ended up. I I just always loved it. And I want I, the thing about living out in West Texas, in the, kind of in the middle of kind of nowhere, Yeah, is that kids out there either learn that there's a world about them and around them in other places, or they don't. Yeah. And Andy and I were always very concerned that our children know that there are other places and things to do and be. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a great facility there, the Globe Theater. Because when you think you of Midland, Odessa, about. you don't think of being the hotbed of theater. No, but as a matter of fact, <laughs> it really is kind of like Brownwood's kind of a, it's kind of surprising. Midland Community Theater, where Drew also did some work, yeah. is one of the outstanding community theaters in the country. They mm. win awards all the time. Yeah. But then I just always wanted my kids to know about it. Yeah. And so we, even when they were older, we'd go to Chicago to see Fiddler. Or we went to we go to New York. I mean, you just we, whatever we could afford to do, we try to do. And they both just luckily, thank you Jesus, <laughs> developed a love of theater. Yeah, and it's really been a good thing for them. Yeah. I think. Um, you sang in church. Some. Yeah. You taught public Let speaking. Me, yeah, I did. Let me tell you, the the musician in our family is not me. Oh. It is my children and my husband. Oh, okay. Tell me about Andy. Andy. Uh, He'll be appalled that I mentioned him on this podcast, but because he's pretty <laughs> modest. Um, his brother was a professional entertainer and band member f- across the country for years and years. He played some with um, um, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And wow. He ran with that crowd in Austin. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Steve Fromholtz, I don't know if you know who Steve Fromholtz was, but he was one of his good friends. And, okay. And we love Steve Fromholtz. God love him. Um, and Andy played in a band with his brother all in, in college for a long time. And uh, he really is the voice of the family. And so that's where my kids get their chops, their singing chops. Okay. Uh, I come from a, a gospel gospel Baptist singing family, and I can sing harmony, but I'm not a lead. They're leads. They can okay. do that. Right. Uh, so that's that's what they do. And, and I'm trying, we all three are trying to get, convince him to get involved. Well, I was just fixing to ask, when are we going to get to I, see that? You know, it'll probably be a cult day whenever, because he is just not, he, the other day he said, you know, he said, I would audition, but it would be like sending you to run a drilling rig, and I just don't think I can do that. <laughs> and I said, you know, being in a show is not nearly that complicated as drilling an oil well, but I get your drift, and that's fine. So, uh, Let's see. What else did Katie say about you? She said she knows her stuff. Oh. Don't make her mad. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Why would she say that? Because I used to be a redhead, and I uh-huh. have a temper. Okay. But it takes me a long time. Okay. I usually don't get angry. I just get even. Yeah. Um, but I'm fiercely loyal to 
people to do the right thing. She said that in your in your teaching, and this is this way, I guess, in any public school. She just said it was a true kind of a breakfast club group that you have to work with. There are p- kids from all sorts of socioeconomic background yeah. and and everything. Um, just you want to step me through how you managed all those different. Well. Um, I always thought that my mission in life was to be a teacher, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I didn't care if it was college. I taught college first, and then I taught high school. It's kind of a reverse. Yeah. Um, and in, when you're in high school, you don't have choices. You get the kids that are there. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to grow a program at Andrews High School. They had a program, and but it, it wasn't really large, and it had been kind of— Larry's teacher, who was John Hogue, Mm. had built a wonderful program there for many years. And when he retired, they were sort of kind of floundering a little bit, you know. And so I wanted to build a program. And I'm not real bashful. You may have noticed that. And so I would just go up to kids and just draft them. Yeah. You know, I didn't care if they were stoners or jocks (laughs) or cowboys. And and the one place in Andrews High School, especially the one place that everybody could get along, was in the theater. Yeah. So, you know, I had the uh, all-district running back, and I had the punt kicker for the football team, and he was on there. He was on, on my in my cast or in my crew yeah. with my cheerleader or my softball player or my – I just tried to make it a safe place for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then I'd recruit, like at the pep rally for the football games, we did a version of, uh, what is it, WWE wrestling. Yeah. And we choreographed a wrestling match where – one of my football players was the announcer, and one of my football players was climbing up the stairs to grab the flag, and they we choreographed the hitting with the chairs oh and all my. this stuff. We didn't ask anybody. The principals weren't really excited because it was a little <laughs> violent, but but I mean the kids loved it. What a great know? way to, and rec- so, to recruit. Well, you just you have to, and and I didn't want it just to be the kids that were just one kind of kid. I wanted it to be all the kids. So I guess the biggest cast I ever had was a, a melodrama one fall, and I had forty five kids and a dog on stage. My goodness. And uh, I had kids from every every group, every class, every every level, you know, but they all took care of each other. Now, they might not get along or hang out outside. Yeah. But once they came in the doors of the theater, it was home. Now, there's a lot of money in Andrews, yeah. and that's a pretty nice school. I mean, I'm talking indoor swimming pool. Yeah. Is that in Andrews? I think it is, isn't Oh, it? well, yeah, and the one you saw, is when it was several years ago when you were there, right? Yeah. Since then, they've built a whole new sports complex and uh, recital hall. So I'm assuming that you had a pretty nice theater to perform well, in. Well, there's an interesting story there. There's a small <laughs> theater called the Little Theater that only seats 400 people. And that's the theater for the theater group, okay? okay? Uh, and yeah. it's it's and which is fine. Well, uh, our lyric shoot seats what three hundred yeah, something? Yeah, maybe? yeah. It's it's one level. It's mm-hmm. four hundred people. Now, when they were going to go build the brand new performance center, uh, they came to be, but it's like fifteen hundred seats, and it's it's a concert quality wow. deal. I mean, it's a nice facility. We're talking a high school facility. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then they've got the Olympic warm-up pool and then the olympic swimming pool and then the the uh, football locker that's like texas tech i mean these people spend a lot of money on stuff (laughs) on all of it yeah a lot of tax dollars yeah a lot of tax dollars yeah yeah and uh but they came to me and they said do you really need a big venue you know because we're trying to decide if we can afford to put in the whole stage thing yeah and i'm a realist and you know most of my shows my kids packed houses 
400 seats, mm-hmm. five or six performances. Mm-hmm. But a thousand seat or a 1500 seat house is hard to pack. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You give me some things I want over here, and I won't go to the board and ask for the other. And so my husband was just not happy with me. He said, you should have <laughs> gone for the gusto. And I said, well, I know, but I'd rather have a full 400-seat house than a yeah. halfway full other one. But so they, what they did is they gave me some improvements and some things I needed in my theater. Yeah. And then the new performance center I didn't do. Now, they use that for all their choir and band and stuff like that. You love ballroom dance? Mm-hmm. Used to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I started ballroom dance when I was in the seventh grade. Well, there's that. I, maybe it was a movie. Maybe it was a play for Strictly Ballroom. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. That's yeah. a great movie. It, it, it's never been adapted <laughs> was, to Yeah. Stage. I was not. We, we were not competitive. I mean, it was this. There's a couple out in West Texas, this lady and uh, her husband, and they started a dance school. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of kids from Odessa and Midland came through that little school. Yeah. And then they would go out to the different little communities to the country clubs yeah. and sponsor cotillion. Mm. And what you would do is the kids that got signed up for cotillion that wanted to do it, they would teach them etiquette and then they would have a dance lesson and then they would get to have a free dance time after that. Yeah. And so when I was in college, then I was one of their their instructors because I'd been doing it a long time. So we would go out to Hobbs Country Club or... Denver City Country Club or, you know, Andrews Country Club and teach. It's junior high kiddos. But, you know, it's not a bad thing. I'm not sure that kiddos today learn how to dance in couples and things. No, I don't think so. So it wasn't a bad thing. I guess it's passe now. When's the last time you ballroom danced? Well, interestingly enough, my husband, Andy, had been in the Andrews Cotillion. So he learned dance from the same people I learned dance from mm-hmm. in two different places. Okay. So the first time we ever went out, he said, you know, if, if we can't dance, this isn't going to work. And I yeah. said, back up, buddy, and watch. <laughs> and sure enough, he and I knew exactly how to dance together. So I don't know. Whenever we have an opportunity, we love to dance. Yeah. Uh, but there's not a lot of opportunities. Right. Now, we've talked a little bit about you as a director, and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk more about okay. that. But what about you, Darlene, as a performer? Hmm. <laughs> you know, not, not interested or maybe. I, you know, when uh, when Katie did Ballyhoo, which I loved that show yeah. she did last night at Ballyhoo, uh, I was hoping to get to be in that show and be opposite Larry because I knew Larry was going to be in that show, and I thought that would be great because yeah. Larry and I are old friends. Yeah. Uh, but I came to the first night rehearsals and then. That was back when we were still commuting, and and I was and Andy had said, you know, do it if you if you get cast, that'd be great. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I realized very quickly that the time the time and commitment it was going to take, I just we couldn't make that kind of allowance. Yeah. I mean, it was he was going to do it for me, but right. it was hard. We had stuff going on. But now, if the right role came maybe. along, maybe oh yeah, maybe. I think if it came along, I might. Yeah, I might. I think I like directing more than acting. Right. Now, you mentioned Larry, so let's talk about Larry, because I talked to Larry this afternoon as well. well. I want to know what he said. Well, um, <laughs> he said that you guys were debate partners yes. at Odessa College. Yes. Very successful. Yes. He discounted himself no. greatly. He oh, says no. he was the tag-along and uh-uh. you were the brains. Uh-uh. That's not true. That's just Larry Mathis being humble Larry Mathis. Yeah. He was recruited out of Andrews High School. I ended up in forensics at Odessa College just by default. I had been in high school forensics and I'd gone to state in persuasive speaking. I went third, I think, in state. And I'd been a debater. 
mm-hmm. my senior year, I was going to debate, and my debate partner was elected Miss Teenage America. <laughs> And so she went off to go date Terry Bradshaw and travel the country. So I didn't have a partner. So all I had to do my senior year was persuasive speaking, which suited me because I was on my own. I could do what I wanted. Uh, And I did well. But Odessa College had a reputation. It had been, they competed with Division I schools in forensics and debate. Mm. We debated Baylor and and TCU and ACU and UT. And I mean, we went all over because it was a very successful program. But back then, they didn't have a mixed team debate, believe it or not. You could only have men's debate or women's debate. I see. And if you had a man who didn't have a partner, a woman could debate with him, but she had to debate in men's division. Right. But let me tell you what. Larry Mathis was something. He, so at, he's something. So at some point, they changed the rules where you guys now, could partner. Now, yeah. Well, no, they didn't change the rules. Okay. I just had to go debate in the men's division if I had oh, him as a oh, partner. If see. we were partners, I, you could, I mean, if... A, if He if, couldn't come debate in the women's division, but, but I had to debate in the could, men's. Yeah. That sounds really sexist. Well, yeah, but now. that was long ago in like yeah. 1970, back in another world. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. But anyway, that's how we ended up together. But we would go to like nationals in the national meet at the end of the year in Los Angeles or... St. Louis or whatever. And Larry would be in four or five events. I would be in four or five events. Everybody competed in multiple events because that's what you did. Yeah. So, you know, Larry would be a debater and then he'd be an extemper and then he'd be a, uh, we all, we did readers theater, you know, we did all that together. And uh, so, but he was such a, such a, oh my gosh, he's so smart and he's so talented and did such a good job. It was no surprise to me how successful he was at Brownwood High School because he was so good at what he did. And of course, the other thing that that Larry said is he said of all of his protégés, he said Katie is probably a mirror image of him as far as her directing style. Really? Boy, what a compliment that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he kind of said that Darlene's the same way. So what can they expect? as far as you as a director? I have a plan. Mm-hmm. I'm open to ideas. I'm ultimately responsible for what goes on on stage. Right. So I try to work with my folks to make them comfortable to get to where we need to be. There are some times when I will actually show them what I want and then I'll say, I want this. You do it your way. Give yeah. that back to me with you. Because I'm not trying to to have a bunch of robots up there doing what I do. But sometimes it's easier for me to show them and then say, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Do you get it? Now you show me what you can do with it. And I do that a lot. I'm not afraid to get up and show. No, I like that too. Because, well, that's the way I always was better directed. If somebody could give me an idea, then I can work with that. But Mm -hmm. if I'm just expected to just create on the spot with no ideas, I get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So I guess I try to just be a guiding director. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad this is a comedy. I mean, I love drama. Yeah. I have, I have some shows that I really love that are yeah. that are dramatic shows. Uh, but I love comedy, and I, I like people to feel free to be funny, but not necessarily slapstick. Yeah. You know, but I, I like movement. I like energy, that kind of stuff. So is this going to be a like show this. that there's going to be some props up there that uh, they can kind of play around oh, with? Oh, this too? is, you know, this is 1938 New York townhouse. Uh-huh. And these people are a little wacky. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's, they have, they keep pet snakes and they have kittens <laughs> in a, a, bu- a bucket on the desk that they keep and they feed and they have uh, fireworks going off in the basement because the man works, ma- he makes fireworks. And so he's yeah. testing his fireworks in the basement. And, yeah. And, uh, Ed's always printing flyers on his printing machine or playing the xylophone. 
for Essie because she's ballet dancing. Right. I mean, it's a continuous motion. Uh, everybody's active all the time. And it was a Pulitzer Prize winning play in 1938. Wow. I mean, it came out the same time, along about the time of Our Town and Gone with the Wind. Mm. So that's a classic period in American literature. Wow. And so it's all about the same kind of deal. Okay, let's go back to now, um, and, th- and this is something that you have shared with Larry and also Nancy Joe. your one-act play. Oh, yeah. Adjudicator. Yes. Okay. Yes. The most important function of an adjudicator is to serve as an educator. Not a, cr- mm-hmm. not a critic, but no. an educator. No. True advancing schools and individual awards must be selected, but adjudication without a carefully prepared critique, which teaches as it evaluates, well, that deprives play competition of its most valuable feature, the opportunity for qualitative improvement. I took that right off the UIL side You did really good there. research, Paul. <laughs> You're good at this. Yeah. Um, an effective critique requires, among other things, extensive knowledge of all styles and types of huh. drama, theater. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> and an understanding of the physical theater with special concern for limitations often imposed in school theater plants and scenic limitations of the one-act play. Anyways, I'll drone on and on. But j- just to say mm-hmm. that uh, people think of a judge for one-act play that they're just out to critique. And, and I'm sure that's not the way that no. you saw it or do it. No. No, it's a teaching moment. And, of course, all the kids are always going to get mad at the judges. Oh, you know. We, um. Oh, there's some people, not, not just the kids. The directors don't, al- the directors don't always like you either. Um, but... <laughs> You know, one one year I'll advance somebody, and that director loves me, and the next year I'll adva- I won't advance them, and then I'm not on their good list. Right. But uh, it's a teaching moment in terms of taking kiddos and encouraging them, but helping them to know what they might could have done better yes. or uh, what might have worked more effectively on stage. Um, I contest managed for a lot of years. And contest management is really hard work. Now, and what, what's the difference between that and being a judge? Okay, if you contest management is why, and Shannon does a lot of this, and Billy does a lot of that, and they're two of the best in the world. Yeah. I've worked with them for a long time. Yeah. But what they do, and Ka- Caitlin too, mm-hmm. but what they do is they uh, they're the ones that they organize the contest, they organize the rehearsals, they make sure everything goes on time, they check to make sure everybody's person. within the rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the hard part. Yeah. You know, UIL when I play has lots of rules, right. uh, which some people object to because you're talking about the whole idea of adjudicating theater is foreign because that's a sort of an enigma. How do you judge something that's as subjective as theater? Right. See? It's, it, it takes away from the artistic. Well, it can, conversion. but it doesn't yeah. because Texas when I play is one of the most artistic yeah. and uh, amazing things you've ever seen. There's got to be a lot of stories that you can share. Can you remember a school that missed out on advancing due to a technicality? Maybe they were late getting their no. Their I've never had that stage. happen. Now there have been technicalities, even at the state contest. Mm-hmm. One year, Mule Shoe. Uh, I don't know if they went too long, or I mean, it, but it was at the state final, the state meet, yeah. and they were disqualified. Yeah. Um, the contest that I used to manage, I always did everything I could. Be- including twisting myself backwards to make sure that we could get those kids not DQ'd because those kids have spent hours of their life doing this. But it happens sometimes. I mean, you can't fight the clock if you don't get off stage in time or you don't drop the curtain or somebody, you know. But I have never 
I don't think I've ever judged a contest, and I'm blessed to say this, that we had to DQ anybody because of that. That's and good. I don't have to do that as an adjudicator. The, ma- the manager has to do that. That's good. Um, my kids were involved in right. Bonac Play too right. in high school. Mm-hmm. Sometime or another, it just became, it's kind of a game of one-upsmanship on who can be sometimes the most provocative or the most outrageous show. Was there ever a, a, one that you adjudicated where it was... Just such an absurd take on a play that it just kind of made you raise an eyebrow and go. <laughs> mm. You know, whether it was I'm, maybe language, maybe one just got like way too racy for I'll high school you, kids. Let me put it this way: I, don't, I can't think of a, a specific show. I can tell you that that there are lots of times when I'm sitting at the back of that or the middle of that auditorium and I'm watching something, and I really am amazed at where that set came from. Yeah. You know, wh- what were they thinking with that set design? Or <laughs> where did those costumes come from? Yeah. Or, um, I mean, and everybody has an artistic view, and I'm certainly not the most artistic turn up on the bunch, but mm-hmm. um, I I can say that. I, I I can't think of a specific one. I mean, you walk away, you, you, you judge anywhere from six to eight plays in one day. Yeah. And so... And after you've done that as many years as I have, I can't I can't even think of any one of particular. It, any of them that made you just say, wow, mm-hmm. what a great mm-hmm. take on. Mm-hmm. Let me think of the one. And, oh, yeah. Our Country's Good, which is a play about Australian convicts in a convict camp in Australia in the 1800s. Yeah. And, uh, oh, my gosh, that was just a beautiful show. I had done that show. And so it was neat to know already know the show. And then when I saw it at State, and it was oh, done so much better. And it, <laughs> but it was really wonderful. Um, ever see a kid just freeze on stage, forget the lines, or mm-hmm. maybe uh, a group gets stuck in circular dialogue where they can't get out of yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've seen some amazing recoveries. Yeah. But let me tell you one thing I saw on stage, and I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. okay? Have you ever seen anybody's life changed on stage? I mean, you saw their life change. No. Well. I did. I've wow. seen it lots of times with my in the past with students and working in community theater. Mm. But um, I had a kid on stage, and he'd never been in a show before, and he was a little a little reticent because he'd never been on stage before. But he really wanted to be on stage, and so. And this it, was one of your kids that you taught at Andrews. One of the ones I taught at Andrews. Okay. Yeah, and right. uh, so I went ahead and cast him, and I knew he wasn't real comfortable, but I knew he really wanted to be there. So I gave him a comic part that was just a couple of lines, and and he really didn't have to do anything except walk on stage, act like he was a, a mayor, and then he would his the wife was a nagging wife, and it was a melodrama thing, and she would come on and say something to him and drag him off, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the whole time we rehearsed, I thought, you know, is he going to do it or is he not going to do it? You know, you don't know. Yeah. He'll either come through or he won't. Right. So the opening night came about, and it got to that part in the play, and I'm standing at the back like Nancy Joe does here, mm-hmm. or like Caitlin does here, or like mm-hmm. Shannon does here. You stand at the back, and you just watch because it's out of your hands. You're helpless. And uh, he came out on stage, and he said his line, and they laughed. It was a funny line. Mm-hmm. And the audience laughed. And you could see this transformation. <laughs> And all of a sudden, he was hysterical, and he puts this face on. She grabs his ear, and he he growls and ouches, and she drags him off stage. He was a big hit. <laughs> well, from that day on, 
He was in every show I ever did for the next three years and ended up being a musical theater major at West Texas State. And now he's a professional actor. That's amazing. But it's because that moment, I know the moment he became an actor and did what he did. And that was one of the most beautiful things to see. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that I hear sometimes. Yeah. I saw that in Greece a couple of times. I saw somebody go, I can do this. Uh huh. You know, that's the bl- that's the blessing of it. Yeah. Seeing it. And that was the, the joy of getting to be in there with those kiddos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you saw it. Mm-hmm. Those kids are really great. And a lot of them already know it and a lot of them didn't know it and then they did it and they thought, I can do this. Yeah. And they'll be back. Yeah. Let's go back to that desert island. Okay. 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 Um, you know, James Earl Jones and oh, yeah. uh, the cast of Newsies uh-huh. have been swept away, okay. Darlene. There's a, th- this typhoon came up, and mm. they're gone forever. So it's mm-hmm. just you now. You're there all by yourself. But then you remembered you, um, you, know, you have this knapsack there that you were stranded with. And in that knapsack is two record albums. Now mm-hmm. they're not they can't be greatest hits albums. No. There's no cheating no. here, but I kind of know you're a music person a little mm-hmm. bit. So what are those two albums that you've got with you on that desert island? I have James Taylor's first album. Okay. Um I've seen Fire and I've seen Rain. It's that album, that mm. first one. Just yesterday morning they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again. And it would be Carol King's Tapestry album. Those are some, I'm old. Yeah. But those are classics. Oh, those are. Those are great. Have you ever seen the show Beautiful? No, I have not seen the, the whole music. I know it's wonderful. I've yeah. seen snippets, but I haven't seen the whole show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's She's fantastic. one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, James Taylor, too, one of my all-time favorites. I don't think it was on that first album, but Up on the Roof is probably yeah. my favorite yeah. Yeah. song. Well, he's a poet. Yeah. When I taught English, I would use music lyrics to teach poetry. And I would pull songs from different types of music and mm. teach poetry that way. And the kids liked that. And I'd play music a lot in my classes when they were reading and writing and things like that, because I thought it was helpful. Carol King, uh, I see the earth mm-hmm. move. There's a great thing on uh, YouTube of her and James Taylor doing a duet. I've set. seen that. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and of course that, that was, ages me. That's how old I am. You know, and that's what Beautiful dealt with. It that that was her coming out. That was her coming mm-hmm. out of her shadow mm-hmm. from Jerry and the whole right. grill building deal. Right. Yeah, it was fantastic. Jill and I were lucky. Cut just a couple of years ago, we saw it. 
because it had been in New York for a good while, but we saw it on Broadway with one of my favorite pop stars, Vanessa Carlton. I don't know if you know her, piano playing. She played the part of... Um, Carol King and we were front row center. And, oh man! Oh, it was you know so the last good. show I saw in New York. What was that? Mamma Mia. Oh really? Yeah, we took the kids to New York. Well, Katie and Drew, Shade and the grandkids stayed home. Katie and Drew and Andy and I went. It was great. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Also in that knapsack, along with your James Taylor and Carol yeah. King albums, <laughs> yeah. um, and you've got a book on Desert Island Discs. You know mm-hmm. that show from mm-hmm. on the BBC. Mm-hmm. I guess the host got tired of people saying the Bible and the complete works of William yeah, Shakespeare. No. So you're given those. You've got the Bible and you've got the, so those are given. I probably so, need the Bible a little bit. Yeah. So what is uh, what is your book, Darlene? To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. I used to teach that. I love that book. Yeah. And I think it's pertinent always. Me and Val, we talked about that show mm. on our podcast. Mm. I love that show. Yeah. Love that show. Yeah, yeah. And and she played the, yeah, hers was the, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I remember reading some of the lines and some of the things that she had to say in there. So she was probably, I don't remember what character. She's, yeah, she's probably Scout. Deal. Yeah. Or yeah. no, she, I don't know if she'd be that, if in that scene. Um, there's a the great movie with Gregory Peck, yeah. Atticus. Yeah. You got to see it. If you're an old movie fan. Look it up. I need to. It'll make your world. Yeah. Okay. So that's your book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed one luxury item. It can be anything. It can't be your husband. No. (laughs) No. It cannot be another human, but you're allowed one luxury item. Um, My kids would say it would be Dr. Pepper, uh, because that's kind of my thing. But Uh I was thinking about this. I think I'm going to go, I don't know. I'm not very adventurous. It's probably soap. Okay. I hate having dirty hands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Could we wouldn't be like pictures of your grandkids or anything like well, that. Well, I guess I should have said that, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I was just thinking, you know, what would you want or need? Yeah. Well, I mean, you could imagine those, I guess, in your head, but you I couldn't so. imagine being clean. You just <laughs> got to be clean. I guess right? that's it. Maybe there that's it. What's challenging about bringing you can't take it with you to life on the lyric stage? Well, Probably the fact that we have we have several people on stage all at once a lot of the time, and we don't have a really big stage. Mm-hmm. Now, the show's done in one setting. It's three acts, but it's one setting, so we don't have to move stuff. Once we're set, we're set, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of coming and going, and there's a lot of group scenes, and so it's going to be a management issue, making sure everybody can get to where they have to be. Yeah. That's probably the challenge. What do you want the audience to be thinking about is they get in their car and they leave the play that night about the fact that there's something to be said for having joy in their life okay because that's that's what it's about uh grandpa is saying you know we should be able to experience joy in our life somehow and uh the government doesn't always bring us joy yeah you know everybody has a right to some joy and so i guess that's it this is an old play. Do you have any plans of bringing it to life in any different way, or is it just so great no, that it's, it's a, just going to stand? Well, on it's, its a Pulitzer-prize winning play. So you're not you're not out to change the. No, I'm not out. No, I'm not out to do <laughs> what the one-act play people do and upscale it or politically correct it or right. anything. It's just it's it's a classic, and I think it would be prostituting the play to yeah. change it that way. Okay. I mean, you make certain accommodations for what goes on to try to make it work, but nothing that's significant in terms of what it means or what it says. 
a lot of people are excited to see a new director oh uh, on this and you know that's the great thing about the community theater now is is we've we've broadened our net so much yeah. now we've broadened it i'm on the lyric board and we've broadened yeah. the net on the board there as well we brought more people that are actors on yeah, the board. Now, which I'm is surprised great. that it has taken that long yeah. to to happen. But yourself as an accomplished mm. uh, director, Candace Harris is on our board and Candace uh, she has her BFA and she's oh, yeah. she's directed things. Absolutely. Um, Ryan Bailey at uh, in Fredericksburg has mm-hmm. directed and of course he and Tommy are just a little powerhouse right. here in Brownwood too. So right. I can tell you that it's exciting for those of us that uh, get to act every now and then to to get that. And, and plus, you know, we have big shoes to fill because mm. there's not going to be another, unless Larry changes his mind and comes back, there's not going to be another directed by Larry Mathis play anytime soon. That's a little intimidating, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I had talked to Larry and we, it took us so long to get down here full time. And as soon as we get here, Larry pies and goes and retires. What's up with I, that? I know. And I oh. said, Larry, what are you thinking? He said, I know I didn't really think it'd be that fast. It just didn't work because he and I had really looked forward to working yeah. together. But boy, is he missed. And oh. boy, is that intimidating to come in here and direct at the Lyric. Well, I mean, think about who all these directors are here. I, well, we really have been blessed. And, and I have a feeling that, uh, that you're going to be thought of in that same oh, respect. Well, I hope show. so. I, I hope so. so. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this group. Um, we were here for a bunch of the shows. We always come multiple times when our children and grandchildren are involved. Yeah. And we were here and my husband walked the other day we got home and he said, you know, I don't think I've ever been around so many really nice people hmm. all in a group at one time for a yeah. long time. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, you're right. You're right. Now, Darlene, we try to close mm-hmm. all of these shows with a dramatic reading. <laughs> I want to know how you picked this. Was this from Drew telling you that we had done Voice of the Prairie or well, did you know Voice of the Prairie? You've already got it picked out which one because I have plenty of scripts here that oh, we no. could choose well, you from. You said, why don't we do something from Voice of the Prairie? And I was interested as to how you knew that, how you knew about that show. <laughs> I know who you were talking to. I was talking to Drew. Mm. I was talking to Drew. And that's it. a beautiful show. Do you know the show at all? I do not. That's one we need to think about here. It is a wonderful show. Voice of the Prairie. Voice of the Prairie. Voice of the Prairie. And you would love this because mm-hmm. the, the show is about early radio when these announcers Ooh. and radio commentators and storytellers would go out across the Midwest. Yeah. And they would read stories and tell stories on the radio and sell products. And then they'd go to the next town and they would do this. That's why it says Voice of the Prairie. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, you love that. And so uh, it's a story about that and about uh, a man who has grown now who tells stories on the radio. And he travels with this salesman named Leon, who's from Mm -hmm. New York, and he's always trying to sell radios on the radio. (laughs) And uh, the stories, everybody loves the stories. And the more they love the stories, the more radio Leon sells, yeah. you know, so that's the story. But it's it's a wonderful period piece. So you brought a couple of pages of script yeah, for I did. the voice of the prairie. Right. And I gave you the option. I said, you know, some people just like to do a monologue mm-hmm. and leave me out of it. Mm-mm. Some people incorporate uh, yours truly. Nancy Joe made me read for a woman. And, <laughs> well, um, I didn't do that to you. <laughs> I didn't do that to you. I'll let you be the lead in this deal. Oh, wow. You're the lead. Oh, my goodness. I haven't, I haven't looked You're at Davey. this. You're David. I'm David. Okay. David. Okay. Yeah, David is, well, he's Davey when he's a young guy in the script, and then he has Ages. Okay. David is the man who's on the radio telling the stories. And he's at one of these little small town radio stations. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, they're the when they come to town, they're celebrities because I mean they're on the radio. Yeah, it's like being on the TV in the fifties, right? <laughs> and so they're on the radio, and and David's telling stories, and so they're in this radio station, and he's just come off the show, and one of the guys that works at the radio station has a girlfriend named Susie. Okay, and are you going to? And I'm going to be Susie, and okay. Susie is just. So enamored with Davy and his stories. <laughs> I mean, she just thinks he's wonderful. Irene, good night. Irene, good night. Good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. I'll see. Are you being crazy now? Uh, no, oh, uh, Mr. Swab says the stories make you crazy. Maybe you want to be alone, you know, to calm down? Uh, no, no. Um, have a piece of ground. <laughs> okay. Is frankly the blind girl a true person? I know that's a dumb question. Teddy, that's my fiancé, he says that I should just write everything down and show it to him before I talk. He makes me so mad. It's not a dumb question. Yes, uh, she is a true person. I bet she was wonderful. Uh, she was. She was so wonderful. I'm not even sure she was real. All these stories, well, I don't know where it comes from. It scares me. Mr. Schwab told me that you don't make those stories up. You just sit in front of the... The, the, the microphone. Yeah, and then out they come. It must be scary, like dreaming. I always pretend I'm talking to Frankie, even when I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to Frankie. I hope it rains, Frankie. Boy, I sure need a bath, eh, Frankie? Oh, that's so romantic. I'm a very romantic person myself. Teddy's not. Is she dead? I don't know. She just disappeared. One moment she was there and then... Oh, Davy! Oh! We were eating watermelon and Frankie was stuffing red watermelon meat into her mouth by the fistful. I can see it. The, the juice running down her chin. We, we were always so hungry. That's right. And I licked the juice off of her chin. Oh, jeez. Yeah, like that. <laughs> Do I remind you of her? Um, wh what happened after you licked the juice off of Frankie's face? Well, a, a man locked me in the shed for a week. <laughs> I never saw her again. She just disappeared. Oh, Davy Quinn, that's so tragic. Don't be sad. Frankie loved you. <gasps> My very own Davy Quinn story. I'll never forget it. <laughs> um, Susie, hey, uh, Susie, I gotta stop this. No, don't stop. Oh, Davy, you have to tell the whole world about Frankie, Davy. Leon, just turn the generator off. Uh, broadcast's over. Davy, you could tell your stories on KFKB. Think about how many people could hear you then. Oh, what a good idea! Mr. Schwab, I was just telling Davy Quinn he should tell his stories. Susie. On KFKB. Wouldn't that be great? Think about how many people could hear him. Thousands and thousands in the paper. 
I read this story about KFKB, and there was this big circle with Kansas City in the middle, and there was Kansas, and there was Nebraska, and Iowa, and Missouri. (laughs) Susie. I'll see you in my dream. I'll see you in my dream. Just from reading that little bit, I think that uh, that would definitely be something that would be fun to be in. It seems like a fairly oh, yeah. small cast show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a big cast. You have Leon and David and Susie and. I mean, it's it's just a neat show, and Davy is it goes from Davy and and Susie being children to Davy and Susie eventually remeeting as adults. So is Davy a nice guy? I didn't mm-hmm. know whether I should play him pompous no, or no, no. Okay, all right. He's looking for her, but he doesn't know how to find her. Well, I'm so pleased to officially welcome Darlene Irvin into the Lyric family. Thank you. You've already supported the Lyric monetarily through sponsoring of Greece. And you may not want me telling you this, but we had microphone issues after Greece. And you and your husband stepped up and bought new microphones for the Lyric. And we just want to thank you for supporting it monetarily. And now you get to support it with your sweat equity. Well, that's it. That's it. And I'm more comfortable doing that. I probably, maybe I can be a real benefit i hope i just appreciate the opportunity it's like i said it's pretty intimidating for me but i'm really looking forward to it yeah well i am too and thank you so much for sitting down with me well thanks thanks for sharing your ideas and everything with me i appreciate being here when you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing Nothing is going right. Thanks for tuning in to Waxing Lyrically. If you enjoyed today's show, please take time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And above all, please share it with a friend. This is your friendly announcer, Kurt Schneider, thanking you for your investment in live theater. Goodbye for now. You just call out my name. Spring, summer of all Really all you gotta do is call And I will be there, yeah, yes I'll be there You've got a friend If the sky
A song that Carol wrote, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, for the Drifters. And you know what? I, every once in a while I remember, this was written with Jerry Goff, and he wrote the lyrics. And note how, thank you, yes, amen. And note how cleverly he inserted the word drift into this. Oh, that's right. You'll hear it. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I, I, that. That was lost on me until this very moment. 